This is Tess Pelicano from Connecticut Filmworks, and you're listening to Fade In, recorded under the Baobab Tree at Baobab Tree Studios. In three, two, one, action. What's up, guys? Welcome to another awesome episode of Fade In. This is a bonus episode, uh, which I have stopped numbering because I was told that we are releasing them out of order. Today, we have like a very special, cool little uh, thing where we're going to talk about online content. I'm your host, Chris, and with me here is a really cool and great guest, Yuval. This is Yuval David. Yuval David for Fade In. How's that for my uh, my voiceover voice? <laughs> that's uh, that's great. Wow, it it kind of sounds like you should be a professional actor, man. Especially when I whisper really close to the microphone. <laughs> that's what acting's all about, you know. It's all about whispering into microphones. It's uh, it's the one thing that they forget to teach in acting schools is how to whisper into a microphone. I think they should uh, absolutely. Uh, every audition I've ever been to is just one large mic with the gain cranked all the way up, and if you whisper above a certain decibel, you're out. That's just it. Yeah, if if you're a good whisperer, then you book the job. Absolutely. So um, the reason I have you on here is because uh, you and I both dabble in this uh, whole world of online video. And so I want to talk a little bit about the YouTube world and how that can uh, advance people in the entertainment industry like you or me, if that makes any sense. You know, one of my mantras is, or missions, I can say, is to constantly create content. Uh, as any creative and productive person, you have to embody the true essence of those words, which is to create and produce. What social media and the internet has provided for us is a platform to constantly create content, but to to share that content. So it helps with building uh, an audience and a fan base and uh, followers, but it's also lets us test out our material, see what works, what doesn't, and to get a pretty immediate response because we see how people respond in terms of the messages they write or how many likes a video, for example, will get or how many subscribers uh start subscribing once specific content is put out there. So it, it's a very exciting medium. People in the YouTube world, I've heard some people say you're only as good as your latest upload. So it's got to have some truth to it, right? Absolutely. And and that's the, th- that's the thing that's, that's hard uh, is to constantly put up content and put up the right content. So, for example, I've been focusing on social... Uh, on. Um, on Instagram quite a bit lately. And it's been exciting to see more and more followers every day. I mean, I think, I think I've had something like maybe anywhere from 100 to 300 followers, uh, additional followers per day. Since we're talking about content, uh, could you tell us a little bit about what kind of content you make, whether that's on Instagram or YouTube or wherever, what is, what is your, your style? So far, most of it has a very positive tone to it. For example, I have the 
pranks of kindness or random pranks of kindness, which you can see on YouTube if you go to my YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Yuval David, Y-U-V-A-L-D-A-V-I-D. That was a, a plug there. Uh, Hashtag self-promo. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> the Random Pranks of Kindness and the Public Improv Experiment are two web series that I created because as an actor, as a performer, I, I really enjoy improvisation. And what raises the stakes for improvisation is to do it in public, where I'm improvising and creating a reality for real people, for these real marks. And I have to create the reality so believably where they don't think that I'm just an actor performing or doing something strange, uh, where they think that I'm a real person doing something. So what that lets me do is it lets me explore my characters. It lets me embrace vulnerability, right? Because I'm doing something strange and I'm stepping out of my comfort zone. And what I also focus with it is just sharing good energy, doing something good for others, making people smile, making, making people feel good about themselves, feel good about the world. So I'm kind of covering a few bases with one thing. On one hand, as an actor and as a performer and as a do-gooder <laughs> or as somebody who just cares about society, I'm doing something small to make people's days brighter to add a little bit of joy and laughter to their days and it's been very fun to see how pranks of kindness has been received i would recommend improv training for anyone out there listening for me as a writer and as a director it helps me see the side of the performer so i can relate more when i direct and for me as a writer it helps me keep me on my feet and uncomfortable because you're practicing making those connections in your brain of subject to subject to joke to joke. Yeah, improvisation is wonderful. When I write, uh, for example, I'm working on two new one-person shows uh, that I, uh, I'm actually presenting some of it this week in New York and next week in New York and then again in Los Angeles soon. And most of my writing is born from improvisation where I develop the character, I develop the theme, and then I start playing with it and really embodying that character. Uh, and acting improv is wonderful because when I'm on set, whether it's for a TV show or film, I often try to get a sense of the director and see how comfortable the director is with some improvisation. Because many times it's those outtakes, it's that B-roll, it's the additional footage that's captured where magic can happen and can add color to the character or to the scene. No matter what you do, as if you're creating something, if you're doing something that's of the creative nature, at some point, whether you like it or not, you are improvising because that creative thing will get holes in it and will begin to sing and it will live based on how fast you can take a bucket and shovel that water out of the boat. Uh, so YouTube is big. Online creation is big. As much as it's still, you know, people have a chip on their shoulder because traditional media still doesn't fully embrace it. It's big. It has millions of billions of views every day. So when you're creating content online... What do you think about in terms of how you want to make it stand out from everybody else? Having these this YouTube world is really amazing. It's a phenomenal platform on which to engage 
with those f- fans and followers. Now, how do we get the subscribers? How do we get the fans, the followers, the likes? It's to really think about the demographic. So I think about my brand. Okay, as an actor, I'm an actor who likes to explore vulnerability. Now, that goes in for comedy and drama. So do I want to create comedic content where people can watch something uh, where I find the funny fast, right? Where I get right to the point and make people laugh and have it as short content that they can watch on their iPhones or their smartphones. Who is going to watch that? I'm developing a web series, which is all about food. So then as a host of a food show, I think, okay, who's the demographic? What are the types of people who are watching this? How do I create content that will be appealing to that specific demographic? Now, when you create content for YouTube, my my big suggestion is to name your demographic. So not just say, oh, it's teenagers or uh, college kids or people from their 20s to their 40s. It's start to narrow down your audience to the point that you can describe this Im- them as an imaginary person. So maybe for uh, content, you can go as far as saying, okay, my demographic is represented by a woman named Sue, who is a mother of three children. She holds two jobs in order to be able to support her three children. She tends to like to make food like this, X, Y, Z. She picks up her kids from school at the end of the day, brings them back home, makes dinner, and then she's ready to call it a night when she turns on the television, starts to watch House of Cards on Netflix with a glass of champagne and gets ready for bed. You know, something like that. So you add a lot of details so you know exactly who your demographic is. You give it a specific person saying, this is the exact person who would appreciate my content, right? I know that's a tremendously specific thing, but then when you know how to reach this person and you imagine what this specific person would be into, then you're creating branded content for a specific demographic and you're able to see how that goes. Now, once you get to that step, then it's the A-B testing. You create content A, see how people respond to it. Then you create content B, which is different in some way, however you choose to. Could it be the colors that are different in the, the, the color palette that you choose? Or is, it, is A comedic and is B dramatic? For the people who do this most successfully, it's both a creative experiment and a science experiment. A lot of people that are struggling out there on, on the, in the world of online media are like, oh, if I could just get more eyeballs on it. The, the thing that I, I've heard a lot from people who say, which I think is very useful, is maybe you don't just yet. Maybe if you've existed for two months on YouTube, you don't want to reach all those views because maybe your content isn't as refined as it could be and you only really get one shot to gain that fan base if people know you and know you're not good you're gonna have a much harder time recovering than if you just wait and develop your content so like of for for me on youtube for the first six months to a year there it really was creating videos more for myself than anyone just so i could tell myself okay 
the next video needs to up the ante from the past one. And you develop yourself first, and then the audience will also start once you refine the idea that you have. That is absolutely correct. It is important to put good content out there. Now, that doesn't mean that content creators or, or potential content creators need to be intimidated by that because I find that on YouTube or on online, any online content, people are forgiving of the cinematography, but they're never forgetting, forgiving of sound. Uh, there's a line that, that I, I really like, which is, ears don't blink. Right? So the eyes can blink, they can miss out on the visual content that is presented before them, but they'll always hear what is going on. So that's one thing. And then right now, I mean, the way our society is going is people really like short content. If your content is going to be long, which basically means anything over two minutes, it has to be engaging. So then how are you making engaging content that fits your ideal demographic? What is it that's appealing about it? Is it visually stunning? Is the sound amazing? Is it very funny? Is it extreme? You know, what are the things that are keeping your audience engaged? Even if it's one of these vloggers, right, the video bloggers who are just talking, what you're saying has to be colorful. It has to be yeah, different. It has to be interesting. It has to be something that grabs your audience. She shouldn't be upset. If you don't immediately have 10,000 subscribers, that's good. It gives you space to grow before reaching those numbers. Because once you reach those numbers, you know, people aren't that fond of change. They want the creations that they came for in the first place. So, you know, the bigger you grow, the less room there is for that experimentation, that content A, content B, content C. Because the bigger channels, people are much less forgiving of content C if they subscribed for content A. So I want to talk about a little little other pocket of, of this online content creation, which is fan funding. Um, I've dabbled in Patreon a little bit, which is a monthly subscription. You can fund creators. There's also Kickstarters. Have you had any experience with fan funding? Yeah, well, regarding my content creation... Uh, most of it is self-funded by me. Well, actually, one thing that I love doing is collaborating. Why not create opportunities for other people? So I love the collaborative effort. And one thing that comes along with that is being able to do it for a significantly uh, cheaper, <laughs> less amount of money, uh, especially if I'm self-funding it because I'm looking at either just all of us are volunteering, so to speak, to create this content. I've also created content where I've paid for the director and I've paid the cinematographer and I paid for all the equipment rentals and all of that. And that's when, when things start getting expensive. Now, what's been happening lately is production companies, other production companies are reaching out to me, expressing their interest in working with me. Uh, there are some brand sponsors or, or some brands that are interested in sponsoring my content. So now I have to start deciding, okay, if I'm getting these brand sponsors and I'm getting these production companies that want to work with me, I just need to make sure that I'm working with the right production company, which will fund and help produce the content. 
And I want to make sure that I'm working with the right brand sponsors that fit who I am as a brand and fit the content that I'm creating as a brand. To go back to your question, you were asking, have I worked with Kickstarter or any of those things? Uh, I personally have not yet worked with Kickstarter or just reaching out to the masses to give me money to create the content. But I'm thinking about it because that helps with my own curated content. Knowing your audience and, and like properly listening to it is a tricky thing. You know, you have the vocal minority and the silent majority of viewers. And so you have to gauge everyone based on the few people that type the comment or the few people that like the video and or engage. Whereas this fan funded content, you cater to the people that fund it, which are all there telling you what they think and and what they need because they funded it and that's always like really cool and exciting yeah, yeah absolutely there there's also an inherent danger to online content which is the oversharing and the the danger of the anonymous mass of the internet so so do you how often do you think about and in what ways do you think about how much you share of your of your content of behind the scenes of all those things as to be careful of you know people finding out your phone number or knowing where you live or even just have a work and life separation barrier that's a constant thought with any content that's put out there uh, across the board on social media because you have to think what is the information that i want the world to know if the world ends up being interested in this and what is the information I do not want the world to know. Having a balance of a private life and a public life is extremely important. While we create content for the public, for the public eye, that doesn't mean that we're sharing everything about ourselves for the public eye. There is inherent risk of saying this is where I am right now or this is where I will be in a week doing this type of activity. You can find me there because who knows who's going to be there. But you have to think about, okay, I'm taking a risk of saying I'm going to do these things here or I film this here. This is where I regularly film. You can see me filming my content in this special location on a regular basis. So you're both attracting your desired audience, your desired demographic, your desired fans and followers, but there's the potential of attracting the people who you don't want to be there. You have to really be comfortable and confident with the choice you make or are making to create content for a public. It's like, I mean, you look at the, some of the really successful content creators on YouTube, and when they go to conventions, they actually have bodyguards because there are people who are just kooky and crazy. VidCon themselves has volunteers that stand by in every room just ready to interfere basically if stuff goes down because it it does happen. And it's like if you put that stuff out there, you shouldn't expect the worst consequences, but you have to be prepared for them. Absolutely. And that's a it's a big risk and it's a big benefit. If you get to the point where you're attracting a lot of people, then that's wonderful. That shows that you've uh, obtained some success, but the risks are something you need to be, like you said, prepared for. Absolutely. And so um, 
in the interest of ending on a positive note, yes. what is like your personal best uh, fan interaction that you've had? I I'm really blessed to have some incredible fans who interact with me on a regular basis, uh, especially through Facebook and Instagram and YouTube, where my content has inspired them. There's a number of fans who are in the Arab world, in the Middle East, who engage with me quite regularly, where they don't have the same rights or abilities to do what I do uh, or what we do here in the U.S. or what is available to me and us in New York City, for example, uh, where I live. And it, it's really amazing where it just puts things in perspective for me, showing me the liberties that I'm able to take and enjoy freely and openly uh, as opposed to their experiences. So when they have to, when they're only able to appreciate content like mine or create content like mine in secrecy or or not as openly and to know that I'm able to touch their hearts or to entertain them is so massively empowering to all of a sudden recognize that the demographic is responding to me and that the demographic is wider than what I thought is so incredible and it makes me care about my content so much more. That's really it's really eye opening and, and amazing. All righty, so I'm gonna I'm gonna end on that. Uh, thank you so much for uh, joining us, you've all. It's been it's been a pleasure to have you on the show. It, the pleasure is mine. It's uh, it's a pleasure to chat with you. It's a pleasure to share my thoughts on on my process and on processes that I get to see and and witness or be part of. Uh, and you're also a great guy. I loved being directed by you, and it was so much fun working with you. And I hope to uh, work with you again very, very soon. Absolutely. I really appreciate that, and, and uh, that feeling is mutual. Uh, where can people find you? So people can find me all over <laughs> the Internet and across social media at Yuval David just about everywhere. So on youtube.com slash Yuval David, Y-U-V-A-L-D-A-V-I-D. On Instagram at Yuval David. Uh, my Instagram account is Yuval underscore David underscore. But basically, if you search for Yuval David on any of these platforms, you will find me on Facebook.com dot com slash Yuval David, Y-U-V-A-L-D-A-V-I-D. I tried to keep it simple. Perfect. So thank you so much for chatting with us. Uh, this has been the Fade In bonus episode. You can find us on iTunes. Uh, if you just uh, type in Fade In, uh, we would appreciate it a lot if you could leave a review because that's what helps us rank among other podcasts in iTunes so that we can grow too with our listeners. I've been your host, Christian Soclay. This has been the Fade In bonus episode, which I've said like four times now. Uh, and we will see you next time. Bye-bye.
As always, you can find us on YouTube and Facebook at Connecticut Filmworks and on Twitter at CT Filmworks.